0: John chapter 13. I want you to open to John 13. I want you to keep it open there. And then, um, uh, because I'm only going to read part of this, but then we're going to kind of walk through the rest of it. John 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world "...and go to the Father." Having loved His own, they were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had, had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel, that was wrapped around him. I know this is Palm Sunday. This is triumphal entry day. However, the Lord really pointed me toward this story because it's probably one of those stories that probably gets told less than any other story during Holy Week. And so I thought there's something in here for us all. Now, we all understand that life includes both good surprises and bad surprises. We typically c- categorize them in those two uh, extremes, good and bad. And I got to thinking, you know, here for Tiburon, probably good surprises throughout uh, Tiburon's history. I, I would call San Quentin one of the good surprises. I don't know anybody had in store, had in mind what was going to happen when uh, that ministry was started all those years ago. But I think that was a good surprise. I think all of our mission trips. uh, How many of you have been on a mission trip with Tiburon before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you have no clue what I'm talking about. You don't. You don't. And it's not until you do one will you fully understand the impact of how important that kind of stuff is in the life of a church. Now, you have a little taste of it because about five years ago we started Feed Those Who Feed Us. And that first summer, 70 people went with us over to Davis. Seventy. How many times can we take 70 people on a mission trip? That's pretty amazing. And the next year, 70-plus went, and about 25 of those were new people. And I think even the third year, it even grew beyond that. And so, so we understand good surprises, but we've also had some bad ones. We all recall the day we got word about Susan's accident. We sat in this room, and we prayed. Asking God to please, please, please provide a miracle. And He chose to say, I need her worse than you do. This side of heaven, we will never, ever understand those decisions. We won't. Just go ahead and resign yourself to say, we, we can't understand that. But it is a part of. Of life. Now, there are some surprises that begin bad and turn out good. We all recall that morning that we got word that the Keller boys were in an accident. Arriving at the hospital at San Francisco General and seeing both of them in comas, we thought, Lord, you've got to do a miracle. You have to. You don't have a choice. And he chose to, he chose to provide that, and that bad, bad surprise ended up having a good ending, and we praise him for that. Today's story, today's story starts with a bad surprise. Disciples were not ready for what was about to happen. It's Thursday night. The Passover meal has not been yet served. It's ready. It's ready to be brought out but it's not been served yet when we talk about foot washing which we don't do very often we're Southern Baptist. we steer clear of this one foot washing has been called an acted parable with Jesus playing the main character He's going to to perform it right in front of His disciples. Now, before we talk about it, though, we have to understand proper etiquette. And the proper etiquette, which is more so important in the East than it is in the West, teaches us that as your guests arrive, whether it's been from the countryside or from the cities, because they all are on dirt roads whether they've they've dressed up in their finest clothes because they're coming to your house and they've taken a bath and they've cleaned up, yet the feet are pretty, pretty dirty because of where they have to walk. And so the very first order of business when your guests arrive is to wash their feet. And you have one of your slaves do it. Now this particular task... Was so humbling and so beneath everybody that it was even included on a list that Jewish slaves did not have to perform, only Gentile slaves. Okay? So there were limitations. In the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, Miss Maud tells Scout that old Mr. Radley, that was Boo's father, was a foot-washing Baptist. She goes on to explain that foot-washers believe that anything that's a pleasure must be a sin. And as a religious sect that strictly follows the Bible, they keep away from any form of pleasure from their lives. That is a little more like Southern Baptist. Now, today... As we focus on this, the Passover meal is ready to be served. The disciples have arrived, and they're looking around at one another, but the feet are still unwashed. But no disciple is going to take it upon themselves to wash another disciple's feet. That just wasn't done. It wasn't done. And so Jesus, without saying a word, rises And he removes his outer garment. And he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And he takes a basin and some water and he kneels down and he begins to wash each and every foot of each and every disciple that was present. My guess is that the disciples were stunned in silence with the exception of you know who. Peter is characteristically unable to contain himself. And we see in verse 6 that he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, let me tell you what he's really saying. Let me translate that for you. Because what he's saying is, you're not about to wash my foot. You're not about to touch my feet. You're the master. I'm I'm the servant in this case. Peter understands that clearly, but Jesus understands more. And in verse 7, He says, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Now, Peter... He's trying to outsmart Jesus. He's been around for 3 years. He thinks he's got it got a handle on this. So he presses the issue and says, "Okay, okay, okay." He says, "Not just my feet." He says, "Wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me." Jesus reminds the disciples that when a person who's had a bath, the whole body is clean. He says, "In fact, you are clean, though not every one of you." We'll get back to that. Not every one of you. Part scholars have debated for years the meaning of what this bathing comment was all about. Some have said that it has to do with the work that's coming on the cross on Sunday, on Friday, and 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 eventually till. That, that will lead to Sunday. Others have said, no, no, this has to do with baptism and, and the, uh, that ceremonial washing. But the clearest understanding of this passage really has to do with salvation itself. Are we in right stead with God? Are we in right harmony? Is our life lined up with His? Which will ultimately tie those two things together. Now, there's an uncomparable love that underlies all of what we're talking about today. And we have to go all the way back to verse 1 and we look at that phrase at the end of the chapter. It says, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The full extent of His love. Now. We have hindsight. We can look back. We can open the text. We can can search it. And we can see in John 3.16, we remember Jesus telling Nicodemus that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hindsight helps us understand that we always knew what God's motivation was and that it was love. We always knew that. And we can think to ourselves, well, this foot-washing exercise they're about to do, and in the process of doing is not going to be a demonstration of the full extent of His love, but more exactly maybe the introduction to it, the preamble to it, or, if you please, the dress rehearsal that was to begin the next day and culminate on Sunday morning. The practice of kneeling at the feet of someone and washing their feet is an extreme, extreme demonstration of a humbling experience that was going to come with what Jesus would go through in His trial and the beating and the execution and His ultimate death on that cross. Foot washing absolutely requires a proper attitude of the heart. 1 John 4.10 reminds us that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The reason that we celebrate this and we rehearse this year after year after year during this holy week that we are in at this time is this because it is the single greatest demonstration of God's love for us and we must, we are compelled to continue to tell the story. However, however... There is a sinister coalition which affects it. And we return to that phrase in verse 10. Where he said, Someone who's had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, when we look at that phrase, we realize that we have a couple of problems sitting at the table. At that very table. That very night. Problems that just got their feet washed. One that is not going to be fixable. One that cannot be repaired. And one that is going to be fixable and can be repaired. First, the irreparable Judas had not yet slipped out to launch his betrayal. He's sharing this meal, and he was among those who got his feet washed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a foot-washing ceremony in your life. But it's not easy to sit there if somebody's kneeling at your feet, washing your dirty, smelly feet. That's not easy. We understand at that moment unworthiness that that you shouldn't be doing that to me. And we we understand that the easier role is to be the washer, not the washee. Judas had his feet washed that night, but his heart was in another place. Satan had already invaded... But John does not imply, and neither do I want to imply, that Judas was a helpless pawn in the hand of the devil. He was prompted, but he was not propelled. The decision belonged solely to Judas. He made a conscious decision. And whatever motivated Jesus to betray his master... He gave the devil an opportunity to speak into his heart. The second, the repairable, fixable problem is one that we more closely relate to. Peter and likely the other disciples who remained silent is clearly with Jesus. No question about that. That is not even not an even issue. Even in spite of the things and the activities that are going to happen over the next 24 to 48 hours. But Peter's attitude, his attitude first to refuse Jesus to even washing His feet, then to saying, oh no, wash my hands and my head, that clearly showed that he was not fully operating or understanding the context of Jesus' intent and the act and movement of the Holy Spirit of God in that moment. The disciples, for the most part, outside of Judas, had received Jesus as the one who had clearly, clearly come from God. Jesus now begins to reveal more. Clearly and more precisely, the love that characterized the Father in all of these actions that were coming. But full comprehension was not going to come nor be realized until after Pentecost. After the coming of the Holy Spirit. And you think about Peter for a moment. That Peter that that denied Jesus three times during that trial. Not two months later is going to be the same Peter that preaches, and 3,000 came to the church on that day. That's the same guy. And the transformation that takes place, because now he gets it. Now he's put all the pieces together. Jesus has been putting puzzle pieces in his bag for three years. And he now gets to put it all together, and he can see the picture. He understands. He knows where he's going. He knows what's expected. And he's ready to do his part. Well, what about us? What does this mean for a 21st century Christian living in Marin County? This passage includes a most solemn warning. And one that I believe continues to this day. Because not everyone who professes to follow Jesus are truly his own. We see very clearly right here, Judas was at the table. And there are people, in spite, of, in spite of what Jim Rakoff taught me, Jim Rakoff, if he said it once to me, he said it a thousand times. He says, he says you know, Marin County going to church is not the fashionable thing to do. You guys all know that. <laughs> In fact, you pay a price for being known as a church person in Marin. You do. But the reality is that, no, we're not even safe in here. Even some who receive the outward washing of Christ still have unwashed hearts. And we believe with all our heart that baptism and Lord's Supper are important and powerful symbols to the community of faith, but they themselves do not and cannot impart salvation. And we also have to remember that 1 Peter 5.8, 1 Peter was written to the church. To the church. Not those pagan heathens out there. No, it was written to us. And it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil... Crowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our safety lies only in maintaining our relationship with Jesus, daily allowing the Holy Spirit of God and the light of His Word to expose us and correct us. Now, Jesus had reminded us on numerous occasions throughout the New Testament starting with the wedding feast in Canaan, where he told his mother, my time has not yet come. But he knows that death will take place at the time, at the hour, precisely initiated by the Father. He understood that. Verse 3 tells us that he fully understood that completely. But the other actors in the drama... Of Jesus' death. Judas, Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, the Romans, Herod. And the mob that yelled Hosanna on Sunday were crying crucify Him by Friday. The same mob. They all acted within the purpose of God. Their failure, their rebellion, their sin... Are but the occasion for relie- revealing God's love in its ultimate triumph. Now, finally, there is an inescapable challenge which arises from all this. There's really two of them. The first one is personal, the second one is corporate. And from a personal standpoint, the challenge is reflected in Jesus' words to Peter in verse 8. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. That holds true, it held true then, it holds true today. Unless Jesus washes us, we have no part of Him. Okay, let me say it one more time. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. We understand and we know that only, only the blood of Christ can save us. His sacrifice offered on the cross and received by an act of simple personal faith. Now, We often speak of the Romans crucifying Jesus and the Jewish leaders instigating the mob to assist them in carrying out their threats. They did not understand, and much of our world does not understand, that they were playing this out just as God had planned. Back in 2004, when Passion of the Christ first came out, there was about 10 of us from here at Tiburon who went to Northgate and we watched it. We wanted to give a report back to the church to say, go see it or don't go see it. And we ended up saying, go see it, with caution. It's rough, it's bloody, it's extreme, it's intense. But we think that it's true to Scripture, go see it. Well, the next order of business was the youth came and said, hey, we want to go see it. And so we talked that over and we said, okay, youth, you can go see it as a group, but make sure you tell your parents where you're going. And they understand completely. Megan was a sophomore in high school. She went to see it. She got back and I said, okay, tell me, what jumped out at you what grabbed you what what scene really can you remember that really speaks to your heart from what you saw after the beating after the carrying the cross all the way up to the final crucifixion place they dropped that cross on the ground jesus was laying there beside the cross The guards turned their back to get their hammers and their nails and their ropes. And before they could come back, the scene she says made the most impact was Jesus turning over and crawling up on that cross. He stretched out his hands. He was ready, he was willing to die for us. First John one seven reminds us that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We live in a world and we live in a culture that thinks you can be good enough. Trust me, you can't. You have friends and neighbors that say, "As soon as I clean up my act, I'll come to church with you." No, 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 no. You miss you the point. You can't clean up. You can't wash up. You'll never get that stuff off of you. because it's on your heart. And there's only one that can clean that. That personal stuff has to come first because you can't, do the, you can't do the corporate stuff without it. You can't. But on the corporate side of this, verse 12 says, when He had finished washing their feet, He put on His clothes. He returned to His place. He says, Do you understand what I have done? He goes on to say, Now that I, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. What are you willing to do for your neighbor? What are you willing to do for your lost friends? What are you willing to do? If there's anything in the world where you draw a line and say, I can do everything except that, then you have a problem. You have a problem. Because Jesus didn't draw a line for you. He says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And in this case, it took his whole life. It took it completely. If the Lord of the universe is willing to stoop to the ground and wash your feet, what should we be willing to do for one another? There's nothing left. We need to be able to go wherever Jesus calls us, wherever He leads us. In the story of the foot washing, we have the most profound revelation of the heart of God, apart from the crucifixion self. And in our storyline, it's coming the next day. And as we continue to rehearse this over and over and over again, I pray that we will continue to demonstrate and show and help people understand that God's heart is made of love. He loves us more than we will ever understand. And today as we move into a time of invitation, it's my prayer that if you've got unfinished business with God, there's nothing special about walking down this aisle and taking Pastor Bryce by the hand and telling him you need and your there's nothing special about that but but what is special is your willingness to say i have a need that only god can meet and pastor brass is going to be standing at the front ready to talk to you about that as we stand together and as we sing